Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 down through 16 and look at these verses under the heading of a Christian's relationship to the Word of God. So 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 down to 16. And before we read it together, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to a passage which teaches us about your word and what we're about to do and hearing it read and taught, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to understand and perceive how we are called to relate to your word, what its use is in our lives, and how your Holy Spirit works powerfully in us through it. And so we pray that your word would be to us, uh, not some uh, mere means of not some mere item on our checklist, not just something that we do because we know we're supposed to, but really a delight, something that we love to read, something that we love to discover truths about you in, and something that feeds our our souls with Christ. And so magnify your son as we look at this passage tonight. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 at verse 13, and we also... Thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So he's always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives tonight. So beloved congregation of hope and everyone listening, uh, tonight the Apostle Paul, again this is about six months after he's been in Thessalonica, there's a a small band of believers there that has uh, come into existence through his preaching, and he is telling them uh, that their very existence and their response to the Word of God brings him tremendous joy. We thank God constantly for this. What? That when we preach the Word of God, you all received it. It's powerfully working in you, and you have just owned what the Word of God calls you to, so much so that you're actually suffering because of the Word of God as the Jews, as the Christians in Jerusalem and in Judea are suffering at the hands of the Jews too. So Paul came to Thessalonica. He proclaimed the gospel. He told people they're sinners. (laughs) And you know the gospel message that Paul proclaimed just as well as I do, that they're sinners, that Christ Jesus is the Messiah, the hope of the world, and that if they will believe in him, uh, they will have eternal life through Christ and all of their sins will be forgiven. He's the ultimate sacrifice, the one who puts an end to all the blood of bulls and goats. And his death and resurrection has secured for us salvation. And when he proclaimed that message, like it was proclaimed to you and me, whether we were uh, young or older, what happened in Thessalonica happened to us as well. They believed. They believed what Paul was saying. They believed in Christ. Just like you and I, at some point in our lives, we have believed, whether we know the day or not. We have believed. And so Paul writes them, and he says that he's incredibly thankful for this, thankful to God for it. And then he describes, really, 
what a Christian's relationship with the Word of God is. And I want us to focus in on that under four headings. A Christian's relationship with the Word of God is this. We hear it, we receive it, we grow by it, and we accept the cost that it brings. And it brings a cost. It invites persecution. So first we hear it. If you look at verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So which you heard from us. Now, the believers that Paul's talking to here would have heard the word two ways. They would have heard it through Paul's reading it. They would have also heard it, and maybe primarily so, through his preaching it. He proclaimed to them uh, the word of God. And it's not surprising that when Paul proclaimed it, they heard it and they believed. Romans 10, 17 makes us clear. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul just came there and proclaimed it and they believed. The first relationship a believer has with the word of God is that it comes in our hearing. Somehow, whether from a parent, whether from a Sunday school teacher, a friend, uh, a coworker, an acquaintance, maybe over a radio station, who, there's so many, maybe in a newspaper article, if you're in Spurgeon's day, you're <laughs> picking up the London Times, you encounter the Word of God, you hear the Word of God, either read or proclaimed. That is a Christian's beginning of, of relationship with the Word of God. And it's, it's interesting how Paul, he's almost marveling at this, like, can't believe it. I, I'm, I'm just constantly thanking God for this. Then when I came to you, I proclaimed the gospel, and I've been going from town to town. I know how this goes oftentimes. I preach the gospel, and I run out of town, they stone me. In fact, it's been bad enough, they leave me for dead. But you guys, when I came and proclaimed the gospel, you heard it, you believed. This is unbelievable. So delighted in this. They encountered the word of God through hearing it. And this describes really our relationship with the word of God. How this happens today is not much different than in Paul's day. We hear the word of God. In our day, we don't hear it from Paul, who may have the only copy of scriptures as he rolls into town with his entourage and followers and Luke and whatever else he's carrying and whoever else is with him. But we might be sitting in a church or we might be driving our car somewhere and we tune into a radio station when we hear the word of God proclaimed. And there's something powerful about it, especially in the church when the word of God is proclaimed and we hear it. I've mentioned this before in Sunday school class. Martin Lloyd-Jones loved to press home this truth that there's something about the Word of God proclaimed in a corporate setting where if you're reading a sermon or a passage by yourself, you can close the book if you don't like it. If you're listening to a radio station, you can shut it off. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. That cuts a little too close to home. That's an inconvenient truth. But there's something that happens when you're in a corporate setting and when you're with other people like Paul was in Thessalonica when they heard it, and even now down to our day, where we might be dealing with hard truths that are in the Bible as we walk through the Bible, sort of verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, however, whatever church we're part of is doing it. And we come to difficult truths that may pin us to our chair that are hard, but we don't want to stand up. Why? Because everybody will think, oh, <laughs> look at that person. And there's, there's almost a, a bit of pressure in a good way. I'm going to listen to this. I need to listen to this. I am listening to the word of God together with other people. I'm not in this alone. There's a great way that the Lord works as we hear his word in that way. And it is just so very important that we put ourselves 
in the way of hearing uh, the word of God. As a Christian, it ought to be our lifestyle from the day we're born again until the day we die to put ourselves in the way of the word of God. The second relationship that we have with the word is not just that we've heard it, but we receive it. Again, verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as it, what it really is. So that word accepted has to do with, here's, here's a basic definition, to be receptive of someone. Welcome someone into one's house to indicate approval or conviction by accepting. So it's not just a general hearing. The Thessalonians didn't say, oh, hey, um, yeah, that sounds like a decent word. I'll consider that. When they heard the word, they welcomed it. They accepted it. They brought it all the way inside their home. <laughs> that is to say, they swallowed it or ate it. They ingested it. They took it all the way in. To welcome the word then means to let it all the way into our lives. Now, there's two aspects to this that I want to highlight here. Christians welcome the whole word in, and we also welcome the whole word all the way in. I want to talk about each of those. When we accept the word of God, we are welcoming the entire word in. Our relationship to the word of God is one of acceptance. Again, I've mentioned this before too. The Bible is the only book that we don't go to with a critical eye and an editorial spirit with our pencils crossing out things and removing things or redacting things. Every other book you read, including a book we would write ourselves, we would come to it, examining it against the scriptures, wonder, uh, asking this question, is this true? The Bible is truth. When we come to the Bible, we accept it, the whole thing for what it is, including the difficult parts. Let me just throw a few out. Romans 3.10, this is a difficult one. No one is righteous, no, not one. That's a hard one. We're actually walking through this in Sunday school. No one seeks God by nature. Romans 9, another hard one. This is going to be an interesting study in Sunday school. <laughs> God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. He's the potter, we're the clay. A Christian, when we accept the word of God, we accept the whole thing, even the parts that we may have a hard time understanding. Peter read things in Paul that he had a hard time understanding. There will guaranteed be parts of the Bible we have difficulty with but there are some hard truths that come in pill form and we swallow them all the way in and say, Lord, you've said it, you've revealed it, I believe it. Even if I can't fully explain it or understand it, there's plenty of those parts in the Bible. I believe it. And then we also welcome the whole word all the way in. So there's a passage in Matthew 18, 8 to 9 that's hard for a lot of us to welcome all the way in, if, at least if you're like me. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. What does it mean to welcome the whole word all the way in? It means that when we accept the word, we're saying, Lord, whatever I have to do in light of your word, I will do it. No matter the cost, <laughs> no matter how painful it might be. Now, I do not believe Matthew is telling us to cut off our arms, our feet, or our gouge out our eyes, literally. But what we are told to do is put things to death and use any means possible to grow and to become more like Christ and to learn of God. 
whatever that may look like, and it will be painful. So if we welcome truths all the way into our lives, the Word of God, it will mean that when we come across things that we know we need to deal with, we will deal with them. We will, we will put them into practice. We will repent where we need to repent, as hard as it might be. So let me ask us a couple of questions. Are there any parts of the Word which we do not allow to stand on their own as from God? How do we view the Word of God? Do we view it as the whole thing breathed out by Him, profitable for us? Take it as authoritative, regardless of how hard it might be to understand. And secondly, do we take the Word of God all the way in and allow it to penetrate and heal us and grow us into the image of the Son of God? The third thing I want us to see regarding our relationship with the Word of God that Paul teaches here is that when we hear the Word of God and accept it as believers, we see it for what it really is. Verse 13 again. You accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. So this is one of the defining marks of a Christian, seeing preaching and teaching of the Word and reading of the Word as what it really is, the Word of God, not a mere word from man. So there are two human elements in the hearing of the Word of God that sometimes cause people to view Scripture not as the Word of God, but as the Word of man. I want to just mention those briefly and kind of tease them out. So first of all, the Word of God has human authors. So the Word of God written by you know, Moses, Samuel, David, uh, Peter, Paul, uh, John, Solomon, so many different authors. And these men wrote the Bible, 2 Peter 1.21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That passage teaches us that indeed men were involved in writing the Bible. And what this means, that there were men involved in writing the Bible, 40-some authors in total uh, uh, in writing the Bible, what this means is that it's possible to read the Bible and to hear it proclaimed and say, oh, that was just Paul's opinion or Peter's opinion or John's idea. And we can go through the Bible this way. John's writing's too touchy-feely for me, too relational. <laughs> Moses, too strict. Moses should lighten up. David, too emotional. Not stoic enough. He's mentally unstable. Mark, too fast. Needs to slow down. If you've read his gospel, a lot of immediately's in it. Luke, too detailed. Peter, too flimsy. How can I listen to Peter talk about standing firm in the faith and dealing with suffering when he's the one who denied the Lord at the campfire when a little girl asked him a question? Category 7, Paul, too serious. Paul should take a chill pill, learn to relax, take a vacation, right? It's possible to go through, read the Word of God, hear it proclaimed, and say, look, that's great, but I don't think Peter agrees with Paul, and I don't think they agree with John, and this is just their take, their personality coming through, but it's not authoritative for me. And the Bible can be reduced to the words of mere men in our minds. We can misunderstand that. But if we really understand the Bible as believers, we will come to this conviction that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, written by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is. And that just settles it. So believers come to that conviction, our relationship to the Word of God. This is not just a great newspaper clipping. This is not like Dan Rather on the evening news. I don't know who the famous news anchors are. I just dated myself. <laughs> uh, this is a message from God, and it is authoritative for us. 
there's a second element in hearing the Word of God, not just human authors involved in writing the Bible, but the human preachers who proclaim it. Now, God could have chosen to part the heavens each week. He could have chosen to part the heavens all day and for 30 to 40 minutes proclaimed His Son. He could have chosen to do that. He could have chosen any number of methods to spread the gospel. But what he has chosen, again, Romans 10 details, like the church sends people, people go proclaim the message, they exegete the Bible, they announce it, and then people hear it, and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God speaks to the world through the preaching of his word, uh, and that is just often, the most, most often, the way people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But the burning question for everyone who hears is simply this then, not how good is the preacher, do I like the proclaimer, is he eloquent, etc. The issue is, does he proclaim the word? Is he dealing with the passage? Is he proclaiming the word? Because if he is, then I'm bound by that. Then it is authoritative in my life. It has the authority of God. And so Paul, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, when you receive the word which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it, what it really is, the word of God. In Ephesians 2.17, he came and preached peace to you. Paul's speaking about Jesus. Now, Jesus was never in Ephesus, but he tells the Ephesian Christians, he came and preached peace to you. What does that mean? When the gospel came to the Ephesian Christians and was proclaimed to them, it's as if Jesus himself shows up. Which is why the second Helvetic Confession written in the 1560s will define preaching this way. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful. So when we hear the word of God taught all throughout the week or on Sundays, no matter where, we are. And so far as the guy preaching preaches the word accurately, that preaching is the very word of God. It has the authority of God and God's people will receive it as such, or we should. Hey, that's the very word of God, not just a word of man. Now, why do we often have a very low view of preaching and not seeing it for what it really is? Sometimes we've lost sight of preaching as a divine work that can happen. Instead of focusing on God's message to us through uh, the the preacher, we focus on the messenger. This happened in Jesus' ministry, Matthew 13, 55. Is not that the carpenter's son is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. It's very possible when we get to know those who might proclaim the word to us, they're too familiar. We start to learn all their faults. These people are saying, isn't this Jesus? We saw him in diapers, all right? We know what he's like. So therefore, they weren't going to listen to it. They lost sight of just the proclamation of God's word as a divine work. This is the means God's established. No human made this up. This is how God intends his people to come to faith and to grow up into salvation. And something else which can happen when we lose sight of the divine work God does through the preaching of his word is we elevate preachers too high, viewing them as all-knowing. I can't tell you how many times I've had people, sometimes we joke, oh, you were reading my mind, right? Like, I'll tell pastors that if I'm really convicted, listening to a sermon like you were just reading my mind, thank you. But I can't tell you how many times I've had people legitimately come up offended. 
Like you, you put this in there because of me, didn't you? You, you were talking directly to me. You were thinking exactly of me, weren't you? And they are rather upset. And I will always say no, because that's the truth. No, I did not. But, and I oftentimes won't say this, but I'll say, but the Lord knew you needed it. And the Holy Spirit's working. And God showed up. I had no idea. I, I know now. <laughs> I had no idea you were going through this or needed this, but the Holy Spirit did. And that, it, that's just how God works. It's marvelous how he works through such lowly, weak means in order to build up his people. And so sometimes we can so forget what the divine work that preaching is, just the proclamation of God's word, that we start dismissing it because, oh, uh, we make too much of the preacher and we miss God's work in it. And we can't just say, you know what, I'm convicted of this, not because he had any idea, but because the Lord knew and I needed this. But something else that we can lose track of, and so we don't view the proclamation of God's word as authoritative, as really God's word, is we forget God's lowly methods of communicating exalted authoritative truth. And this is illustrated in Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now you remember, the rich man had it great, defined by his riches, doesn't even have a name. He's just the rich guy and Lazarus. They're dead. So we've got this portrait. The rich man is in Hades. Lazarus is doing quite well. And the rich man says, I beg you, Father, talking to Abraham, to send Lazarus to my father's house. Oh, sorry. Lazarus has not died. He's with Abram. Sorry. I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my father's house. The rich man is still trying to use Lazarus. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, that's powerful. What Abraham's saying, what the Lord Jesus is teaching us in this parable, maybe as a bit of an aside, but indeed a truth being taught here, is that anyone who wants to reject God's simple means for spreading the gospel and for calling people to salvation and for growing us in the faith, it won't matter what God does for them. They just won't believe it. You can have somebody rise from the dead and come back and proclaim, which is what Jesus did, and people still will not believe. Let me just hit a couple things here. I don't know when the first time is that you realized what you were hearing proclaimed as the very word of God, but if you're a believer here tonight, it's, it's happened to you. You went from hearing the proclamation of God's word as maybe a decent message or you know, just some good advice to maybe help you live your life a little better to, oh my, this is not only urgent, this is necessary for my salvation. I have to grow up these ways. I need to do something with this. This pertains to the most significant things in all the world. And I need to not only pay attention, but put these things into practice. This is the very word of God as we hear it. And at some point we've all seen where we're not just going through Bible stories in the Old Testament dealing with the sins of other people. Oh, how could David do that? Or I can't believe Moses could get so angry with the people and disobey God and strike that rock. I 
can't believe Noah could get drunk and Abraham could be such a coward for his wife. All of a sudden it changes and we go from, I can't believe Abraham did that to, you know what, this has a lot to do with me because I've got the same things operating in my heart. And we look at the mediator, the redeemer in this story, and we start thinking, I, I need that mediator too. It's not just for Abram. <laughs> not just The Israelites didn't just need Moses to take them over uh, on dry ground. I need someone to get me over to the other side too. And we discover that's Jesus Christ. And there's a moment when it hits us, beloved, whether in youth or old age, but where we start to come to realize, hey, when, when the Bible speaks about these things, it's not just about human beings in general or theological truths in general. These are things pertaining to me and I need them. And it drills us home. This is the word of God. This is not just some fancy words from men, not just someone filling up the radio station or standing in front of us on a Sunday morning. This is the very word of God. That's a Christian's relationship with the Bible. You know, God's methods for reaching his people in the world are lowly methods, a still small voice to Elijah. Young shepherd boy in his father's fields, a shaky-kneed Paul who was nervous about preaching. Hard to imagine Paul being nervous. A baby in a manger, a poor preacher with a small band of disciples, a miracle worker attached to a cross. The way God works, beloved, using us as human beings to proclaim this great word, using ordinary people to do that. It's just how God works. It's the methods he's used. And as Christians, we know that when the word is proclaimed, that's God speaking to me. It goes beyond just a mere human being. Sure, the person might be five foot something with skin on their nose, but this is God's word. And this binds me to it. The Holy Spirit binds me to it. And it is true for me and I need to deal with it. Well, the fourth aspect of our relationship to the word of God is that we grow by it. We're really just staring at verse 13. <laughs> we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is maybe one of the most encouraging things about being a Christian. After we come to faith for the first time, we start to see the word really work in us. We go from this big change. Maybe we have no idea when the big change took place. It might have happened before our memories even began. But all throughout the course of months and years and decades, we start to see the word of God working in us. And it does. So notice the connection. We hear, we welcome, and then we grow because it works in us. It's at work in us believers. Which means that if we don't hear the word of God, and we don't put ourselves in the way of hearing it, that it's going to be very difficult to grow. Very difficult to grow as believers. So a relationship with the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth. It's what the Holy Spirit uses to grow us in Christ. Again, we might say, there's got to be other ways to grow as a believer. But isn't this quite ordinary and almost boring by worldly standards? Because if you're someone who doesn't believe and you walk into a church service or you walk into a place where the word of God's being taught at all and it's being read and people are hearing it, you'd say, huh, nothing really fancy going on here. Clearly this is not an earth shattering movement which should involve me. And yet it's where heaven comes down to earth and God speaks to his people and changes our lives and works in us. Let me say it this way. The word of God is at work inside each of us believers and 
while it is at work within us, it will bring about much change in each of us. Corporate change to a whole church, but also personal change to us individually. I remember preaching through Philippians 4, and I've just got limited experience. I consider myself still wet behind the ears, but it was fascinating to watch the Holy Spirit. We were preaching through Philippians 4, Verse 15, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And we unfolded what that looked like in Paul's ministry and how they were partnering with him. And it was unbelievable, just a work of the Lord, how after that, a few people came and said, look, we need to partner with underfunded ministries. Paul didn't have any partners. He was underfunded. We need to get on this. Three weeks later, (laughs) through a lot of work, there were checks already going out in the mail finding people to support, looking for missionaries, taking funds, and sending it out. That's what happens when the Word of God comes to us, beloved. It changes us. It's working within us. It doesn't leave us the same. And so we'd never say, oh, I'm mature enough. Our church has arrived. None of us would ever say that. That'd be a great way to have the Lord sort of stir us up. We are all growing. We can expect that when the Word of God is proclaimed, when we believe it, that it will leave us changed as a church And we will change the things that we're doing and we will be more and more conformed to Christ and be a church that is more faithful in worshiping God and spreading the gospel to the nations and promoting fellowship, etc. There's also personal change that comes too. There's the change that comes gradually when we encounter the word, change that's imperceptible to us, change that happens week by week as we learn new things about God, dive into a few passages, learn about our obedience, etc. And we can't really tell that we're growing, except we look back five years and we say, I sure am glad I'm not the wretch I was. (laughs) Oh, it's so good not to be five years ago. And we know that in the year 2028, because of the word of God and the way the Holy Spirit's working in my heart, I'm going to look back on 2023 and say, I'm glad I'm not the wretch I was then. And this is going to repeat all the way until the day we die. There's gradual work. There's also times where the word of God works so powerfully in us by our own testimonies. And I hear this. This is true for me as well. I think it's true for, I'm guessing, almost every one of us as believers. That we grow so much and become so convicted that we have to grow in an area that we say, I don't even know if I was a Christian before. The word of God works powerfully or abruptly like a tidal wave 40 feet tall on some random time we heard it and we're standing on the beach and it slams into us at 100 miles an hour and we leave changed, I've got to deal with this. It's time to go and put it to use. Finally, we accept the personal cost that believing the word of God brings. Verse 14, It brings opposition. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So through the changes that the word of God affected in the lives of the Thessalonians, they, inv- they were now a persecuted, suffering bunch. And Paul's, let me paraphrase him, I don't want you Thessalonians to think that you're alone in this. The same thing happened in Judea. Well, what happened in Judea when the gospel went out? And these people believed, the Jews first believed the word of God and accepted it. What happened? 
Acts 4, the Jews arrested them. As Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody. Stephen in Acts 7, they just stoned him. Acts 8, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Killed, imprisoned, no doubt other persecution and suffering. That's what happened to the Judean Christians at the hands of the Judean Jews. And he says, look, you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Now the word countrymen is kind of a close to home word. He's saying you guys have suffered at the hands of your fellow townspeople. People that you work with, that live right next door to you, people that you maybe went to temple with, pagan temple before, and now you stopped going. People that you maybe hung out in places of ill repute with before, and now you don't go anymore. You've suffered at their hands. They've caught wind that you believe. Your life is being changed. You trust in Christ now. And you have undergone suffering on account of your relationship with the word. You've embraced it. You've embraced Christ. And now you're following him. And you can expect opposition and suffering. When people embrace the word of God, trusting in Jesus, it brings personal costs. And the cost will not be from people who flew over from another country, like from Ethiopia to Pella, to make our lives difficult. We can expect that wherever we are, if we embrace the word, if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe in him, if we're dealing with our sins, if we're striving to live a godly life, we can be sure that opposition will come from family members, from our fellow countrymen, from people in Pella and Iowa and the United States. It's been the course of Christians in general uh, all the way since the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me close with this. Christians are a people who have heard the word. When we've heard it, we have received it. We love it. We cherish it. In it are found truths which cause our hearts to sing. Jesus has died for me. Or the gospel in the shortest possible sentence by J.I. Packer, I think, God saves sinners. And we have come to see that message in the Bible. And we love it. We just can't get enough of it. That Jesus would die for me is unbelievable. And it changes us. And it will change us until the day that we die. And when we go out and serve this Lord Jesus Christ who has given us this incredible gift, it will invite difficulty. And we will discover as we tell others and as we seek to love other people and as we seek to go out into the world and live godly lives and not participate in the sins of the world and chase after the idols of the world, that there will be people who are rather ticked off and they don't enjoy you. They don't enjoy me. They don't like believers because your very presence, your heart, your desire to serve the Lord is so counter to the wickedness that we all have by nature, and that all of us have by nature, except the grace of God that's worked in us and given us a new heart, regenerating us. It will be so counter to it. So expect it. Beloved, I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm not this prophet or a son of a prophet. None of us are. What's it going to look like to believe in Jesus and follow him over the next 10 years if we live in the Pella area? I don't know. 
What's it going to look like 20 years from now? None of us have any idea. One thing we do know, if we really believe the Bible and what Jesus teaches and the apostles teaches, we should expect that there will be resistance, that there will be difficulty, and that you're going to have to suffer for your faith, and I'm going to have to suffer for my faith. Just because you believe in Jesus, your life is going to be difficult at the hands of other people. Embrace it. It's what we're here for. And soon we'll have glory and bliss on the other side. Let's pray.